Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I think we need to talk about that Old Testament lesson today, see if we can make some sense out of it. So our text is going to be the words of Jeremiah, O Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. All my friends are waiting for all my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our refuge our, our revenge on him. This is our text. Sometimes in war, the sides get all mixed up. For example, in 1758, during the French and Indian War, a British detachment of soldiers led by none other than then Colonel George Washington got into a firefight with a fellow infantry unit that had arrived to offer assistance to them. Except it was dusk on a foggy day and and each side thought the other looked like the French. So they opened fire. As a result, 13 British troops were killed. During the Civil War, the famous Confederate General Stonewall Jackson died eight days after being accidentally wounded by his own troops during battle. You may recall that just a few weeks ago, five American servicemen lost their lives when a coal, this was in southern Afghanistan, and a coalition jet had, had been called in to help ward off a Taliban attack, and it accidentally dropped its bombs on our men. They call these incidents friendly fire. I think they could come up with a better term for it. But since that's the term that is used, that's also the term that we will use. And it's a term that we can apply so easily to what happens in spiritual warfare as well. We've seen that over and over again in the church, haven't we? It can happen in an individual congregation where people become suspicious of one another or, or angry at each other because of some disagreement, a difference of opinion, or maybe perhaps a, a perceived slight or insult. Friendly fire. We've seen it between congregations in the same denomination like our own Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, or between Christians of other denominations. It's easy to get confused as to who the real enemy is to direct our fire at our own side. You know who loves that, don't you? Satan. That's one of the reasons why we were so keen this this past year to read the story together, not just as a congregation, but also as our entire community. I mention that today because of an email I received uh, recently from Shelley Leith. Shelley is a representative of Zondervan Publishers, they're the ones who produce the story. And she uh, titled her email, How Frankenmuth Helped Mangum. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. That's a small town in uh, southwestern Oklahoma. 
Shelley had been invited to that town to talk to the leaders about doing there what we did here. She writes, the town of Mangum, population 2,500, has 17 churches. By the way, I checked out the website. None of them are Lutheran. But did you catch the numbers? The town is about half the size of Frankenmuth, and it has three times the number of churches. She sent uh, some pictures of the biggest church. It's a cowboy church. That's the pastor at the lectern. Kind of makes you wonder how I'd look in a Stetson, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to find out. There's, uh, there's the choir. So there's 17 churches, and Shelley says the churches are known for their dogmas. They're very strong defenders of their beliefs and traditions, and these are a dividing point in their relationships with other townspeople. So with a degree of discomfort and awkwardness, about 40 people gathered in the high school auditorium on Saturday morning, representing over 20 different churches from the three towns of Mangum, Altus, and Hollis. She says, I ended my presentation to them by showing the video from last weekend when we were with you in Frankenmuth. If you were at the celebration event down at the pavilion, you might have noticed her afterwards. They had a camera set up and she was interviewing some people. The video she sent wasn't actually those interviews, it was some others that, that they had done. And you can see that whole uh, video, it's about 10 minutes. It's on our St. Lawrence website right on the homepage, pretty hard to miss. I'm going to show you just a, a couple of clips from it today. We start with Randy Frazee. You know, the idea was really very simple. All of the pastors and ministers and priests in the town got together and said, what would it be like for all of us to take our congregations and parishes through the story? What if we all started at the same time, followed the same schedule, and used the same set of resources to help our people understand the Bible better? What would happen in our families, in our churches, and in our whole community? Well, I've just had the privilege of helping the town of Frankenmuth, Michigan, celebrate their year of doing just that. And I've got to tell you, this has been just about the most fun I've ever had in my time of working through the story. Frankenmuth is known as Michigan's Little Bavaria, where it's Christmas all year round. This is a charming town of 5,000 people and six churches. Last fall, five of those six churches started the story, and I just want to give you a glimpse into what it's been like around Frankenmuth these past nine months. Somewhere in our planning, uh, part of our church's vision statement popped into my head, and that is that St. Lawrence wants to be a, a partner and a leader in our community. We're going to do it community-wide. Wow, that, that's huge. About a year ago, um, we were approached, all the different churches in town were approached kind of by the Lutheran Church. They kind of initiated this and said that they had a year-long, 31-week Bible study that they thought would be great for our whole community to do. The churches had never really banded together in a spiritual growth idea. And it goes on. And then at the, uh, at the very end, Randy Frazee comes back on and listen to what he says. You know, we think of innovation coming out of California and innovation coming out of New York. Well, I'm here to tell everybody that innovation, God-sized innovation, has come out of the little town of Frankenmuth 
and I've come here today to hear their story, and I promise that I'm going to let the world know about Frankenmuth and how pleased God is today. I was in the worship center, and we were gathered together singing and shouting and, and praising God, and I just had this enormous sense that God smiled on Frankenmuth today from ear to ear. So you didn't know Frankenmuth was cutting edge, did you? Yeah, we don't usually hear those put together very often. Well, uh, we'll go on with Shelley's email. The reaction from the group when the lights came up was amazing. The whole feeling in the room was altered. People started responding to what they had seen, and it turned into a testimony type of atmosphere. Remember, I told you there weren't any Lutherans there. People all over the room sharing their feelings about doing the story together. The first gentleman who spoke up said, that gives me hope. Other comments included, if they can do it, we can do it. And I've grown up here all my life and I've never seen a gathering like this. All of us churches in the same room and I say it's about time. Well, all of that comes under point number one in the sermon outline, which is on page four in your service folder. There we are reminded that the real enemy is not other Christians, nor is it God. Now, I know you know that, but I also know that sometimes in the, in the fog of spiritual warfare, we can get confused about that. In today's epistle lesson, St. Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. You know, it's also true that the wages of sin is doubt. That's what we see in the first part of today's Old Testament lesson with the prophet Jeremiah. He was called to minister in a, in a horrible situation, an awful time in Israel's history. The, the, the nation of Israel, the lives of its citizens were being threatened by a cruel, powerful army that was invading them. And, and God called Jeremiah to prophesy in the midst of that and to tell the people that God was not going to save them from this army. That this was his judgment upon them. Jeremiah didn't want to say that. He wanted to stay silent. But as he tells us, God prevailed. And did you notice the word that he uses to describe it? He says, God deceived him. Well, that's not something that a friend or an ally would do. But it is what Jeremiah felt God had done. He felt as if he had been the victim of friendly fire. And sometimes we feel that way too, don't we? I've, I've listed three times in, our, in your sermon outline where that could be the case. The first one, when something doesn't go our way. And when that happens... Maybe you're different than I am, but, but isn't it true that oftentimes, what's our reaction to that? Why is God doing this to me? Friendly fire. Or how about when God gets in our way? When, when he stands there with his commandments between us and the fun that, that we are after. Friendly fire. Or how about when he expects us to do things his way. That was Jeremiah's complaint. 
Because when he did it God's way, it didn't work out so well for him. Remember what he said, everyone mocks me and my friends are waiting for me to slip because they wanted to take revenge on him. Why? For doing what God told him to do and saying what God told him to say. And Jesus tells us in the gospel lesson (laughs) to follow Jeremiah's example, even though it's probably not going to work out so well for us either. Remember what he said, brother will betray brother to death. All men will hate you because of me. And still he gives the instruction, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. Wait a minute. Is God for us or against us? Don't let the fog of the spiritual warfare in which we are engaged on a daily basis confuse you as to who the real enemy is. It's not God. It's Satan. Martin Luther described him very accurately in a mighty fortress when he said, the old evil foe now means deadly woe. Deep guile and great might are his dread arms in fight. On earth is not his equal. The old evil foe is and always has been the one behind all the the sorrow and the suffering in the world. He's the one who prompts brother to betray brother. Or in a situation taking place right now in Africa, brother to betray sister. The woman in this picture, her name is Miriam Ibrahim. You may have heard about this or seen her picture. She's a 27-year-old woman who has been sentenced to death for being a Christian. This is in the country of Sudan where a, a court there pronounced that sentence on her because they said she abandoned the Muslim faith even though it was her Muslim father who had abandoned the family when Miriam was six years old. So the mother raised them as Christians. Miriam later married a a Christian man and still later was turned in to the authorities by her relatives. When she was offered an opportunity to seek a lesser sentence, Miriam told the court, I am a Christian and will remain a Christian. Her Muslim brother told a CNN interviewer that that he hopes she repents of her crime, but if she doesn't, and this is the direct quote, she should be executed. We pray for Miriam, for her husband and and now her two children, that, that she will be set free. Also that they will find comfort in the promise that Jesus gives in today's gospel lesson. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. We pray also that we can have the the kind of courage and conviction that she does to stand up to the old evil foe. And let's pray one thing more also. Let's pray for the wisdom to always remember who is our true ally. Because it's not the world. To think that The world is our ally is nothing new. Jesus warned about listening to the world's promises several times during his ministry. 
About 300 years ago, a, a hymn was written that talks about this, and it says it better and more briefly than I ever could. So pretty much I just want to quote uh, from some of the verses of that hymn. The author identifies the world's enticements and, and notes how what the world gives, that's what I want you to look for, how what the world gives always falls short. So in the first verse, what is the world to me with, with all its vaunted pleasure when you and you alone, Lord Jesus, are my treasure? So much for pleasure. The world seeks to be praised and honored by the mighty, yet never once reflects here today and gone tomorrow that they are frail and flighty. So much for prestige. The world seeks after wealth and all that mammon offers, yet never is content, always seeking just a little bit more, yet never is content, though gold should fill its coffers. So much for profit. That's the problem with what the world promises. While it sometimes delivers, it never fully satisfies. The same thing is true of Satan. Remember, remember, please remember, he is never our friend. He is always our enemy, a real friend. Our true ally is, of course, God, who rescues us. And here's how much of a friend and an ally he is. In order to rescue us, he had to decide not to rescue Jesus from the pain of crucifixion. To rescue us, he had to intentionally direct his wrath at his own beloved son. The friendly fire that Jesus took on the cross was not an accident. It was not due to the fog of war. It was intentional. It was the most accurately placed shot of the war. Aimed at Jesus by his own father. Landing on him with such devastating effect that he could not help but cry out in agonizing honesty, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But while he didn't rescue Jesus from the cross, he did release him from the bonds of death which held him. In so doing, God completed our rescue. Now, Jeremiah knew none of this. He was an Old Testament prophet. He didn't know anything about the specifics of what God was going to be doing in Jesus. <clears throat> but he did know that while for a while anyway, it seemed as if God had deceived him, it was actually true that God would save him. In the last verse of our Old Testament lesson, he says, Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Or as the last verse of our hymn puts it, What is the world to me? My Jesus is my treasure, my life, my health, my wealth, my friend, my love, my pleasure, my joy, my crown, my all, my bliss eternally. Once more I declare, maybe you want to declare it with me, what is the world to me? The world is not our friend. Satan 
is not our friend. God is our real friend and our true ally, now and always. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.